Kazari. Kazari, obviously a test. And just to sum up what we're holding so far, what the Chacham is busy saying is that the difference between the philosophers who look at at uh, trying to understand the world or rationalize the world is, is a dispassionate dispen- logic. It's like it, it's, it's right, it, they can prove it, they can't prove it, but uh, nothing really rides on that. Whereas by us, the fact that we know that there's Hashem means that we now obligated to follow him. And that's what he says. He says that the way that they used to work, two points, was by analysis. And therefore they would separate themselves from everything else that they could free their thoughts to, to speculate on uh, whatever philosophical principles they wanted to think about. And as he writes, when they spent their days in, in study and continual thought, and therefore they couldn't do that simultaneously with running a normal life in the world. That's how you see that they separate themselves from people. And or looking for whatever people consider important or for pleasures or for children. And uh, that's not the Torah way to act. Even the philosophers like uh, glorify the lifestyle of, of of like a person who has no connection to anything physical, so to speak. They're completely wrapped up in the world of uh, speculation, of abstract thought. That's not the Torah. On the contrary, the Torah wants us to act with uh, with another, with other people, and the Torah wants us to act with, with our, in a physical sense with our bodies. And uh, like the Vilnagon writes, most of the Torah is how we deal with other people. The Torah doesn't want us to. No, to, to seclude ourselves from other people and have a lifestyle of solitude. And what's the difference? This is something which comes up again and again in the Khazari and other Sifra Makhshava as well. And that is, whereas the philosopher's worldview is that maybe logic is something which is to be celebrated, something which is uh, special, but any, the body is something which is not. And therefore, we have to separate the two. If a person can focus only on uh, his mind and detach himself from his body, then he's in a better place. And that's exactly the opposite of the term. Like the Ramban writes the same thing as the Kazari in this, and then the Ramban writes, it's not true. HaKadosh Baruch created the body to be a person's partner in his Avedah Sashem. And the way a person achieves Kedusha is by the union of his body and his Hashem, by the partnership of both of them. And therefore all the mitzvahs in the Torah require a person to use their body, and it's that because we're using their body that a person does what the Torah wants them to do. And therefore the person who the person who wants to separate himself from his body and focus only on Torah and never do mitzvahs because they want to only attach themselves to the logic and to the rational and to the uh, the non-physical. So that the Gemara says that of course that it would have been better for him had he died in the womb before he would have been born. And the Vilna God explains that Gemara, why is that? It's an unusual quote the Gemara says. That if a person is the Torah, not to mention this, it would be better he had died before birth, why would that be the punishment? And the Vilna says very simply, we understand sending ourselves to. And that is, if a person was meant to only learn Torah, he didn't have to come down to this world. He's in the Shabbat of the Torah in Shemayim. The Gemara says that the baby before it's born is learned the whole Torah. And if that's the case, at that stage he's done his job. He's learned the Torah before he's born, he's finished. So there's no reason for him to come down to this world. Yet he could have died in the womb and finished with that. And therefore, it's only because the, in this world the person can do mitzvahs, which means use his body as well as his mind, 
is there a purpose in, the, in coming down to the physical world? That's there for two points. Number one, we're disagreeing with the original premises, premise of the philosophers, and that is that the, that the person should detach himself from his physical body, that's just a distraction to his ability to uh, to focus on his thoughts. And we say it's the other way around, that the Baruch created a person as a unit, and he achieves more by connecting to his body. And this brings me to the second point I want to present. And that, and that is, there's a there's a further depth over here. I heard this from Revolve with the Bracha. I'll be honest, I didn't understand him at the time when he said it. But uh, over the course of many years and thinking about it again and again, I think I understand more the concept he was trying to say. And he said like this, he said that the terror is called the terrorist high, a living terror. What makes something alive as opposed to something which is not alive? If you're not talking about a person, for example, what's the, what makes something alive? And what? The concept of life is there's a connection between the spiritual and the physical. And therefore a person when his nasham is connected to his body is alive. And when a person's nasham is not only connected to his body, even though the nasham is very much conscious and very much aware of what's happening to it, but it's not alive because it doesn't connect to the physical. And therefore we said in other, in other shirim as well, that if, if we have to define what it means, if we have to define what it means, uh, the concept of, of chayim, chayim means the connection of spiritual and physical. If that's the case, we talk about the terror as being a terrorist chayim. So what makes a terror alive? The terror is a spiritual entity. And Revolta says what makes a terror a terrorist chayim, which is a key point, is the fact that a person connects to the terror, he's, uh, physically connects to what the terror wants him to do. But here's the point, because he says there's some things in terror a person only understands when he does them. There's some areas in terror where a person can't just think about it to understand it. The, the understanding only comes from the mindset. And therefore, it needs a terrorist chayim. It needs a person to live the Torah to appreciate what the Torah is trying to say. If a person would just rationalize the concept of the Torah and trying to understand it properly like that, he wouldn't be able to do that. And uh, when, a, when a person is Yukayim or pulls the Torah, so then that brings him to understand what the Torah wants. Such as, such as, now, I'm, I'm going to give examples. But the caveat, obviously, to all the examples, if a person does the mitzvah properly. If a person does the mitzvah properly, and if a person does the mitzvah properly, then that helps him understand what the Torah wanted. Because that puts him in the place where he can understand uh, what, what the, he can understand from being behind the mitzvahs, the understanding of what the Torah wanted to happen. So my best example, because this is a mitzvah, not just because the only mitzvah is a plastic, but it's the mitzvah people are most likely to do properly, and therefore can relate to best what I'm going to say. And that's Yom Kippur. If a person would think about the logic of Yom Kippur, and that is that a person has done things wrong, and it makes sense that there should be an opportunity for a person uh, to to so, so, so absolve himself for his done wrong, to get uh, forgiveness, he shouldn't get punished. And logically, it makes sense. But how exactly does it happen? And why should it be that in a specific day of the year, why not, why not just randomly when a person wants to? And therefore, we, we could rationalize about it, but if a person is loved through Yom Kippur, so then you understand much better what it's meant to be. Yom Kippur brings a person to a stage where they don't want to do that very anymore. And if it's not just a thing of, well, this is your chance, if, if you're going to say sorry today, you're going to get forgiven. No, the whole power of Yom Kippur is the fact that it brings a person to a stage where uh, I disassociate from that very. It's not what I want to do, it's not what I wanted to do. And therefore, then I can understand much better that that's something which brings a person to a new level where from at that level he's, he's, he has been disconnected from the other. But 
one wouldn't appreciate that if you didn't live through Yom Kippur. And it's just one example. And therefore, we call it Torah time because it's a Torah which the, the depth of the Torah is only is only understood from the Chaim, from when a person lives, carries out the mitzvahs, he lives through the Torah. And that's exactly the opposite of philosophy, obviously. Philosophy is on the contrary. It's, it's, a, it's meant to be a, a rational thought, which is irrespective of what a person is feeling, what a person's body is doing. You try to detach as much as possible. And we say when it comes to Torah, the opposite. And that is the more that a person lives the Torah, the more they understand the Torah. If you want to see the beauty of the of the system in Torah, then you have to live with it and see how everything how it works, how everything, so to speak, uh, combines to produce what the Torah is going to produce. Whereas if a person is looking from the outside, if a person is looking from the outside and trying to rationalize that the Torah makes sense, they're not going to appreciate that. I always said this is a pshat in the Mishnah. Uh, it's a well-known Mishnah. The Mishnah says in Torah. What's the way of the Torah? You must eat bread and salt, drink measured water, sleep on the ground, and if you do that, and and whenever I talk about that Mishnah, I always say people always are quick to ask a question on the Mishnah. And that is, I understand the Adam If you're gonna say eat bread and salt, sleep on the floor, deprive yourselves of everything physical and then learn Torah. Wow, you're a, you're a tzaddik, you're a kodesh. You detach yourself from this world and you deserve a tremendous olam above. Understood. So the mission says, Ashrech al-olam Why is that an Ashrech al-olam It's a good question. So I always answer it by saying, I have another question on the mission. And that is, in my opinion, I would think that there are four unnecessary words in the mission. Listen, I think there are four unnecessary words in this mission. I'll read it again just in the Hebrew, see if you can pick up unnecessary words. What are and the Gemara goes to explain the Pasuk. If you do it, then Ashrecha. We, we said you're going to do it. Well, why, do you have to, why do you have to emphasize that? What's the Imata Oisakeh? And I've said this lots of times in different settings. And that is, the answer is, because the Mishnah knew the question you're going to ask. The Mishnah knew you're going to think, what? I'm just looking at this Mishnah and say, I'm going to sleep on the ground, I'm going to eat bread and salt, and you're going to tell me I'm happy in this world? I don't understand that. And the Mishnah's answer is, do it. Do it. Do it and you'll then see if you have a question. Live that life. And then you'll see there's no questions anymore. Because if a person does live that life of Torah, then you'll see that it doesn't, there's no stereotype. The person asking the question is always the person on the outside. Who's looking at it from an outside perspective and rationalizing. Does that make sense? No, that doesn't make sense. Because you haven't done it. If you do it, you'll see it's true. Oh, no. I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again because... Uh, even though I, I said it over, but I, I, I learned myself a powerful lesson from it. Many years ago, when I was still Yeshiva Bacha, so I used to go back to South Africa where my parents lived for Venezuela. So one time I was back for Venezuela, base of time, and the principal of one of the local school, uh, no, Yeshiva high schools there, 
came up to him and he said, you know, we have a problem. And that is this year's oldest class, they don't really want to go to yeshiva after they finish school. They want to learn things, but no one's really interested in going to yeshiva. So, you know, you, you, yeshiva, you're back from yeshiva, can you convince them to go? So I said, then that should be your job. <laughs> you, you, you're you the principal, I'm just a visitor here. He said, no, but still, you here, try to do something. I said, I'll, I'll think about it. So I came back to my dad today, and I said, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I said, there's, all together, just in, in this shul, where he died, I said, there's 10 bakram here, bakram where it's a shul for Benazmanian. Make him another malka. Make another malka, invite the whole oldest class at the 12th grade, invite all the bakram, and uh, make a nice another malka, I'll speak. I'll see what he can do. Okay, he did that, a very nice another malka. They had all the 10 boys from the Yeshiva were sitting on top of the table, everyone was sitting around, back, and saying, you know, after just so I said, I want to ask, and I said, I said, for all the boys there, I said, yeah, you're all in 12th grade, you're all thinking about, I'm sure, thinking, should you go to Yeshiva next year or not? So, what we organize for you here is, you have a panel of work from Yeshiva, and let's ask them some questions, and let's get your other answers, and you can help, it'll help you make up your mind. Good idea. Okay, so I said, guys, so I want to ask the questions. So I asked, all the row of 10 Yeshiva were sitting at the top of the table, I said, the rabbi said, tell me something. You're all been back in Yeshiva for a year, you've all come back from Pesach, now I want to ask you a question. Having been in Yeshiva and coming back, tell me something. Where's the food better? In Yeshiva or at home? And they're all on the spot, you know? And they all said at home. And I said, okay, my next question. Where's your bed more comfortable? In Yeshiva or at home? And I said, at home. And then I said, where do you have access to a car? Where do you have more spending money? Where do you have more leisure time? At home, at home, at home, at home, at home. And I just watched the principal's face, like, kind of. <laughs> but after going through the six or seven questions like that, so I said, okay, I said, I'm ready finished. So I said, I said, all the boys watched, listening around the table. So I said, let's just sum up. We've asked 10 Bachim on different issues. They all agreed. At home, the food's better. At home, they're more comfortable. The conditions are better. They have more free money. They're spending money. They have more free time. Everything. Good. Fine. My last question. Then I'm done. So I said, Bachim, uh, tell me something. Next week is the Shkodesh year. Are you staying home or are you going back to Yeshua? Also, so I said to the other boys, I said, do you understand that? We just asked them all these questions. They all agreed that everything's much better here. So they've been there, they've seen it, and they're coming back again. And I asked them, are you going back or are you staying here? And they're all going back. Now, how do you understand that? Does that make sense to you? These are normal boys, right? They're just the old living in school. So, how does it make sense to you? They all agreed, they've been there, they've seen everything's better here, and they're still going back. Well, how can that be? So I brought this trap in the mission. And I said, I don't have an answer for you. The answer is, To try and explain to you, you've never been to Yeshiva, you don't know what it means, and trying to work it out from the outside, should I go or shouldn't I go, then you're going to think, it doesn't make sense, why am I going? But if you've been there, and you've done it, and you've experienced it, you'll see there's no questions. Then you'll understand. Every single boy that goes into Yeshiva. Wow. But the Yeshiva is exactly the Yeshiva. And that is, you can't judge the Torah from the outside. Now you're going to have a question. <laughs> How can that be? And the mission is telling you, you're asking the question because you haven't tried. You, you're looking at it and it doesn't make sense to me. Because you haven't done it. Do it and see. Because when a person gets into the life of Torah and a person appreciates it, then the other things don't make a difference. I don't care about my bed and I don't care about what I'm eating. I care about what I'm learning and I'm completely satisfied with it. But you can't explain it to somebody who's never done it. And therefore the answer is, If you do it, you'll see. And that's what I meant when I said before. The Torah is a Torah's chayim. Uh, what the Torah wants a person to achieve, you'll only get to by keeping the Torah. 
and by, by speculating about it and rationalizing about it and trying to philosophize about it, you're not going to see it. You're not going to understand it. On the contrary, it doesn't make sense. But if you do it, then you, understand, then you appreciate what the Torah wants. And that's why we said the, the, the way that the philosophers would try and analyze things was contradictory completely to the way the Torah wants you to understand something. That they would try and detach themselves and think of things at a spatial, abstract level doesn't make sense. And the Torah says the opposite. Do it. Live with it. And that, that, you'll understand it much better. You'll understand it much better. And then we spoke about concepts, we spoke about mitzvahs. This applies to midas too. When a person works on their midas, then they see the value of the good midas. Because on a, on a, I'll tell you a story I heard from. Uh, he said when he was a bacher in Panovich, so there was a bacher uh, with him in, his, in the same bad, who was the first cousin of Professor Einstein. Kids said this bacher was getting married. He was from a poor family. Albert. Yeah, Professor Albert Einstein. So he was. <laughs> no, so, I, oh, I don't. The bacher was getting married. He was the first cousin. Of his? The first cousin. How did the, gener- how did the generation work? The younger cousin. Uh, mm. uh, his father was the first cousin. He was related to him. Somehow a cousin. He was getting married. He was from a poor family. He had no money. So he thought, okay, my uncle's meant to be very rich. So I'm going to write him a letter. And tell him I'm getting married. And can he kind of uh, help me with the chasm? So that's what he did. He wrote a letter. So, dear Uncle Albert, whatever I he called him exactly. Uh, this is a story I have. It says, I introduce myself. I'm son, so your cousin. Or whatever he, he was related. And I'm happy time getting married, you're welcome to come to the wedding. And at the same time, I really need some help. You know, would you be happy to help me pay for the wedding? So he got a letter back. Dear Sansa, I'm very happy to, to write to me because I never knew I had a cousin in Israel. It's very nice that you made the, you reached out to me. I'm happy to get to know you. However, I see no logical reason why just because I'm your cousin, I should pay for your wedding. Oh. Now, that's, if you're looking at it logically, what's wrong with the other one? We happen to be cousins, why should I pay for you? But if a person's not used to chesed, so yeah, if you're going to analyze it logically, then maybe that's a logical answer. But for a person who lives the world of chesed, then that, the Torah shows you that that's not the way you think. That's not the way you think, but you're not going to see that by rationalizing it. You're going to see that by doing chesed. And when a person does chesed, then it's the Torah's fine. Then the person under the priest, you start to understand what it means to do chesed. You know, appreciate the value of chesed. That's the same you say. And that is the way to understand something. He says the philosophers, besides the fact that they were, were coping, as you said last time, he says the way they wanted to understand was wrong. The way that they tried to detach themselves from the world to understand, you're putting yourself in a place where you're not going to understand. That, and therefore, he says, The philosophers didn't see any value in it. So they didn't think they're getting rewarded, they didn't believe in punishment. And therefore, they, they didn't see any value in what they did. I will tell you that they saw things in logic. You know, it makes sense this should be a good thing. It makes sense this should be a bad thing. And uh, therefore, they wanted the established Bible to see that very What they understood was good. So we have to be good. So whatever we consider to be good. And therefore, they based what they did on their own logic. There's no chiyuv to do anything because they didn't believe there was, there was a God that was being mechayev them. But there was, this logically makes sense as the right thing to do. That's not the way the Torah works. We already spoke before that the Torah doesn't work like that. In other words, the Torah isn't something which a person comes to by thinking what's logical, what's not logical. Number one, Hashem tells us what to do. 
And number two, you'll, you'll understand what Hashem is telling you to do by doing it. And that's just what we said before. And that is that uh, we, don't, we don't try and understand what Hashem wants by trying to rationalize you know, in an abstract way. Like what, what, what would be the right thing us to do? Either Hashem tells us what to do, or it's through doing, through doing what Hashem wants, then we understand this is, what, this is the way we're going to act. We said by Midas as well. By trying, to, by trying to act a certain way, it develops a certain method. And the medicine person has the influence on what a person thinks. And if it's a good medium, then we want it to influence what we think. Because that's going to, that's going to uh, focus our thoughts in a way which is going to make us better. Whereas the person tries to detach the medicine from the way they think, and it's just, is it logical or illogical? Then it's true. You come to Moscow, like, like Einstein, that, that there's no reason to help somebody just because there is. What's, what's the, what's the, why, why is that logical? That's then it. he has a theory of relativity. First, and we said we understand the principle, we understand uh, the difference between the two sides. Maybe just the last point to finish off this thought is uh, the last point to finish off this thought is where the, where the difference stems from. And it's very simple. And that is uh, being as we understand, Hakadosh created us. So we understand He created us as a composite of a body and the And they're both necessary, they both play a role, and therefore working together they'll, they'll achieve more. Whereas from a philosopher's point of view, he doesn't like, understand that first point. And that is, that's the way that was intended. He happens to be a different species of animal who has intelligence. So the only thing which is valuable about me is my intelligence. And therefore, we try and separate that from his physical part. Which is philosopher said, that the body is an embarrassment to a philosopher. They, have to, they wanted to detach from it and only see themselves as a cycle. But that brought to a corollary trip too. And this is brought down by all the body muscle. And that is... That doesn't mean the philosophers are more moral people. They don't necessarily live to a high standard. Uh, there's a famous story. It's a quote Aristotle himself doing things which he helped very much. And asked him, are you doing that? And basically his answer, however you want to translate it, was, it's two different things. Um, when, I'm, when I'm acting a philosopher, I'm one person. When I'm not being a philosopher, I'm just being a person. That, that, that schism between what a person does and how a person thinks was part of the school of philosophy. That to think you have to detach yourself from your body, but then what the body does and what a person thinks is like there's a schizophrenia, there's like a break between the two halves of the person. And then again, Torah is high. If the Torah is a living Torah, it's meant that the person is a unit which is combined. That's the last point of all this. And that is, that's why you'll see what we call Gadda Sata. But people who are great in Torah, you'll see that they become greater people. But people who might be intelligent, maybe geniuses in, in the in, not in the Torah, in, in any other science, you don't see it has an effect on the person. They can be the same person, but they just happen to be extremely bright, extremely gifted in a certain area. And it's the same point, because then if, it's, if, if there's a division between the two, this is the area where I excel in, where I can think, this is what I do. One doesn't touch the other one. Then they don't affect each other. But in the Torah, it's the other way around. It's, it's, it's through living Torah that a person understands Torah. And therefore, the more that a person understands the Torah, the more they'll live the Torah. The more a person loves the Torah, the more they'll understand the Torah. And therefore, that same concept of how much a person understands is going to be reflected in how great the person is. You, know, you can't have one without the other one. It's the difference between a Chachm, which is alive, and therefore, that changes the person, to a Chachm, which isn't alive. It doesn't affect the person. It's something separate from him. Okay, so that's the end of his argument, or at least his, his time is against the philosopher. And you'll see in Belgium tomorrow, and it's how the king responds to it.